What is going on? It is the Ethos Clippers podcast coming at you here on a Sunday afternoon. And boy, do we have a treat for you today as it has been an interesting week in Clipperland. And I figured, you know what? I got to dial up my buddy who I've not talked to. And I looked it up in over eight months. Andrew Greif of the LA Times is back on the Ethos Clippers podcast. Andrew, how are you, my friend? We back. I'm I'm doing well. I did not realize it had been that long. So, so thank you for having me on. Listen, my apologies. It's been a while since uh, I reached out to you. A couple of times we tried to make it work, but you were busy, and then I was busy, and it, finally we we're able to get some time here. Um, you did not cover the game yesterday, and we're not going to get into the specifics of that game quite yet. First of all, before we get into the actual games themselves that have been played recently. Um, I love an injury update because it seems like that's something that is talked about all the time now is who is hurt on this Clippers team. Uh, PG didn't play yesterday. Zoo didn't play yesterday. And neither did Reggie Jackson. And initially on the back-to-back, there was some thought that Reggie and PG were being rested. And then all of a sudden it turns out, no, there are, there are actual injuries. And then they were sitting again. Is this just one of those, hey, they played against Washington yesterday and then they had three days off Sunday, Monday, Tuesday before the game on Wednesday and it will be a long road trip and that they should be back during this road trip? Or do you think it's more of a cause for concern for PG and Reggie? And then what about Zoo? Because he's pretty important considering the Clippers don't really have a backup center. <laughs> right. Now, I, my my thought, what was kind of communicated to me on that back-to-back was that PG seemed like um, – yeah, it would be a fairly minor thing that the team viewed it that way, at least. Uh, Zubas was the one that felt like he could be longer um, because it was a bone bruise. Um, you know, those things are about pain tolerance and just so those things are a little trickier. Um, but you also have to factor in he's the Iron Man of the team in a lot of ways. He wants to play. So, you know, if there's a scenario where it's like 50 50 or it's up to him, I think Zoo is probably always going to choose to play. Um, with Reggie Jackson, you know, he walked out of the locker room on, uh, against after the Minnesota game, I want to say, or maybe it was Phoenix. No, yeah. Well, did he play against Phoenix? Now my, my memory is blurring together. When no, he played 61 he, he games against the All-Star break. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everything blurs together. But he, when he left this week, um, he was really limping walking out of the locker room and, and it turned out it was an Achilles. Um, he had like a little medical device that my own speculation was that it was like to like stimulate you know, muscles or whatnot. Uh, he had that attached to him. I mean, it just, he looked really limpy and he was, he was already kind of moving and laboring at various times this year. So I think for Reggie, you just sort of, if you know, if I were the Clippers, I think you have to protect him from himself because he, but just like Zubats, he really wants to play every time, you know, if he feels like, Hey, I'm going to look back at the future and I'm not going to be able to play in 10 years. And I'll have wished I played every minute I could have. Um, that's a great instinct. I think that you also need to protect him from himself. So uh, I think you, Clippers could feasibly maybe pull him out a little bit longer, but I don't have exact times or, or date lines. But the general mood midweek was that they felt as though uh, Zubats was the more serious one. So it's possible that we see PG out on the floor on Wednesday is what you're telling me. I think it's possible. I think the, the, the built-in break, the long break, um, I think certainly helps things. We'll, they will practice on Tuesday. We'll obviously ask uh, Teron Lu who is practicing and the severity of everything at that point. But um, but yeah, I, I think that when, but when they go on the road trip, I would think that you know most everyone but Zubats might be um, at this point you know looking like they can play. But that's 
that's sort of my informed speculation. So this road trip for the rest of the month is going to be at Philly on Friday, at Detroit Monday, at Toronto in a back-to-back on Tuesday, then at Boston, at Indiana. So you would assume that he would come back at some point during this trip. But, of course, we know that there's a back-to-back in there, and it's very possible we might see them sit out in that game. And that kind of leads me into my next point, and it goes hand-in-hand with Reggie Jackson, Andrew, and that is that because the Clippers had so many players that were unavailable at the start of the season, whether it be Kawhi that was hurt, can't play back-to-backs, PG has now gotten hurt a couple times, and he has played back-to-backs, John Wall can't play in back-to-backs. You're asking these guys that are healthy to play so many minutes, and it's gotten to the point now where you don't have enough players that are available, and you're asking guys like Marcus Morris, Nicholas Batum, Reggie Jackson to play in these back-to-back games and shoulder a lot of the load and play a lot of minutes, and it was just a matter of time before one of Marcus or Reggie got hurt, it felt like, with how many minutes they were having to play in place of those guys. And it's certainly a problem. I'm curious to get your take on Reggie Jackson and the amount that he had to carry early on. It kind of seemed like this was inevitable, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, he, the Clippers, when when Kawhi Leonard um, came back this year and they, they had that short-lived program where he came off the bench and then that way they, they felt like he could be available for the fourth quarters. Um, that was described as sort of, the Clippers had a belief in like really strenuous minutes and, you know, relatively easier minutes. And, um, and so that kind of led me to think it gave them some insight. I think in the franchise is thinking about, you know, like the minutes in the second quarter, um, aren't necessarily viewed the same as minutes in the fourth quarter down the stretch. So I, I sort of, whenever like Reggie Jackson was playing heavy minutes, but Paul George and Kawhi Leonard were there alongside him. Um, I sort of wondered like, is this just being viewed as yes, Reggie's playing 32 minutes again, but because he's not having the same responsibilities, um, is it viewed as, as okay. And I actually asked Reggie about that once. Like, did he believe in sort of like the quote unquote easier minutes and, and harder minutes? And he said, yeah, to a degree, but you're still out there running around. Um, so I, I do think that it was, you know, and sort of inevitable someone in that, you know, on this roster of a lot of players uh, in their mid prime and, you know, early thirties, um, mid to late prime that someone would get hurt on a complimentary role when other guys can't be there. I certainly think that, um, and you know, the other thing that's tricky is they got off to such an awkward start with their record that they, you know, they really put themselves in a hole where you couldn't just rest a lot of like the Reggie's or the Marcus's proactively because you actively needed wins to kind of get back into the Western conference race. So it's been, I think that whatever thoughts there were in training camp about how to manage guys minutes, sort of goes out the window when there are unexpected injuries and those injuries lead to a record that's not ideal. And then you have to sort of chase and make up time. So yeah, it sort of led to this point now where, um, you know, the, the guys who started the year, like Marcus Morris, Red Jackson saying, I can't wait to play against the, the opponent's fourth best defender <laughs> or fifth best defender. Well, a lot of nights now they're playing against the first best, you know, or, or, the, or the second best defender. And that is a lot more strenuous, takes a lot more effort. Uh, than they perhaps envisioned, and and you know they've they've held up really well, um, but you know Nixon things are going to happen throughout the course of the season. And you can't help but think that the amount of minutes that Reggie played early on has to do with this. I mean, you can even go back to the game where he played the entire second half, and Reggie's not a young guy. I mean, he just does not have the legs, and he does not have the energy and the muscles that he used to have, and so it certainly feels like. 
this was kind of going to lead up to an injury at some point. And it kind of goes hand in hand with John Wall because in hindsight, and I'm curious if you agree with me on this one, Andrew, knowing that you're going to sit Kawhi in back-to-backs, knowing that you are going to have to have PG possibly sitting out from time to time, whether it be because of injury or back-to-backs, you wonder, and I know John Wall has shown some burst at times, you wonder why they signed John Wall, knowing that they were adding another guy to the equation that could not play back-to-backs, and that means that it's possible at one time you're not going to have Reggie, PG, or pardon me, you're not going to have PG, Kawhi, or John Wall, and that certainly limits what you have on your roster. Curious your thoughts on that. I think that the Clippers um, would always kind of say that, they, well, they signed John Wall because of what he could give them, not what he couldn't, because what he can't right now is something that will change over time, the back-to-back. You know, John, he's, he really wants to play. I mean, he's made that very clear publicly in a number of different occasions about how he's healthy, how he really wants to play more minutes than he's getting. Um, he's really um, chafing, I think, about like this minutes limit and not being able to play back-to-backs because he, again, it comes from an act, being out of the league last year, feeling like your NBA mortality is staring at you in the face. Now you have this chance again to kind of reestablish yourself, and he feels healthy and wants to do that. Um, he's being a good soldier and wants to abide by the limits um, of the medical staff and the guidelines, but he really wants to play. Um, I think that the Clippers would tell you that those minutes restrictions will eventually go away um, if he stays healthy. And, but, and in the meantime, what he does give them, to, and I think you could make the argument that they clearly signed him because they felt he could give them something that no other point guard available to them could, which is that um, the ability to dime up guys in the half court um, and to give you a transition element that was not there last year. I mean, the last couple of years, they were just barely functional in the in the transition. And, um, you know, talking to some people this week, they felt like, Although John has been up and down, I mean, we, the jump, you know, his jump shooting stats are obviously well known, not super accurate this year, but um, there's been a kind of a, a wow factor in how if you are down, you know, eight points or ten points, John can get you back to level pretty quickly um, in two or three minutes just with his activity and his speed. So he's by by no means a perfect player at his age um, after after his injuries, but. I do think that the Clippers would tell you that he's given you—he's given them more than they expected, and that's sort of, to this point, justified it over, you know, who are the other options? Yeah, yeah, no, it's a good point, and I'm glad you brought up the point that he may be playing back-to-backs at some point in the future, and hopefully that is soon, and I'll be curious to see when the Clippers decide to take the training wheels off of some of these guys, whether Kawhi will play back-to-backs at some point. Um, and also whether John Wall will play back-to-backs at some point because you're just putting way too much pressure on some of these guys who are available, and even a guy like Terrence Mann, who is obviously a young guy, but you're just putting a lot of pressure on these guys. And I promise we'll get to some positives in a second because the Clippers have won four or five games. There's no doubt they've been really good. But I'm curious, you are someone that's a beat writer that covers this team on a daily basis, and you travel with this team, and obviously the holidays are coming up. What's it been like to cover this team this year, knowing that there are going to be some games where the Clippers are going to be fielding a skeleton squad, and that what are you basically writing about? You know, because it just feels like we've talked about this. Uh, it's been on Twitter before that fans can only go to one or two games a year. I mean, some fans only have the money to go to one or two, 
And you now have to look at the calendar and say, okay, is it a back-to-back? All right, probably don't want to do that game because you don't know if your stars are going to sit. And now also like, hey, maybe these guys will be hurt for a couple of weeks. It seems like this team can't stay healthy and you don't really know who you're going to end up seeing and who you're paying money for. It's frustrating from a fan's perspective. I'm curious what it's like from your perspective. Yeah, and it's something, well, I think that the Clippers, you know, kind of the the two different squads, um, uh, almost mentality, like you said, on back-to-back nights where one night looks very different than the other. That's something we've seen around the league this year. And I think more teams seem to be embracing the, you know, we're, we're not even trying to, um, to to try to hide it. Like, we're just going to be sitting out, guys, you know, because we think the season is too long or too much. So, like, we saw that with Luka Doncic um, and they had a back-to-back this week where he just sat. Um, you know, I think the Bucks have done some stuff like that, too. Mm-hmm. So, it's not... Clippers specific, um, but you know what, what? This week was a pretty stark example of that, where you beat Boston with essentially a full team, uh, by far their best win of the year. They have a ugly but um, you know fairly gritty victory against Minnesota two nights later, and then the team that played in 24 hours after that looked, I mean, completely different. Like you would, you if you had you know brought a fan who is the extra, on the extreme casual end, they would have had no idea who. I think 70% of those players were. Um, so it is, um, it's something that I've thought about quite deeply about what am I writing tonight when, when there's one of those situations. Uh, I actually sort of that framed my thinking behind one of my stories this week after, on the Phoenix game because I was talking to someone on the way into the game, driving in and sort of explaining how, like, what, am, what are we supposed to take from this game? And, and this person was like, I think that's sort of a story maybe you should write. Like, what in the world do people take? So, you know, for that game, that was sort of my operating principle, was just walking around the locker room um, pregame and talking to Ty Lue pregame and saying, like, okay, like, you know that these rotations probably will never happen again, and you know that this team looks nothing like the team you hope to field in May. Um, you know, like, you can't really problem-solve for the, the, the small, small lineups that they need to fix for offensively because those lineups aren't playing tonight, but what can you learn? Like, what are you looking for? You can't just, you can't just waste reps in the NBA. You know, you can't waste a night completely. And, you know, the answers were, were you know, fairly modest, but, you know, I think that they were interesting in that, you know, Tyler talked about, you know, they were, they were putting Brandon Boston in, in essentially a, a more aggressive role. They wanted to see what he would do defensively. We all know he can play offense. He, you're going to play a lot of defensive minutes now against, you know, high-level players. What are you going to do? Uh, Musa Diabate, what would he look like, you know, spaced out from the perimeter more often? And that actually came to fruition when he guarded Chris Paul on several possessions down the stretch. Um, I, I thought acquitted himself pretty well in contesting, you know, those patented mid-range jumpers. They're going to get Paul George, I mean, Chris Paul into the Hall of Fame. So you know, I think that um, Nicholas Batum, before tip-off too, I sort of, as a veteran who's seen it all, I said, you know, sort of like, what are you watching here? And, and he made the point that, like, look, competitiveness is a skill. And uh, there's a baseline of effort and focus that comes with that that makes you competitive. And you can't just shrug that off night to night. Like, that's a dangerous territory when you just say, you know what, we're going to whatever. Like, we're just going to – you kind of shrug when you see that matchup if you're playing in the game. No, there's you still have to focus because um, there's going to be something, there's some, some small detail that you will work on that game that – you know, in six months, maybe you point back to that and say, okay, like we didn't waste that rep. We actually could learn something. It's a hard, it's a hard thing though. I mean, those are like all nice points, but 
it doesn't get you any closer, like I said, to making sure that the small, small lineups, which they feel like they are behind on offensively, um, Ty Lue has said that multiple times, that he feels like they're behind offensively, that's not going to get you any closer to making progress to catching up. So um, it's, not a, it's not a total waste. I think you have to, to watch with a really close eye um, if you're a fan or even the Clippers. Um, but it sure is. It sure doesn't answer the question of kind of who these Clippers will be in the playoffs. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's one thing to get minutes for Amir Coffey and Brandon Boston and Musa Diabate, but those three guys are not going to be in the rotation when it comes to the playoffs. Like we at what at some point we need to see this team healthy and what we're going to see in the playoffs. And it's tough for Ty Lue. We've talked about this podcast plenty of times that Ty Lue has a near impossible job right now because every time he is on the coaching sideline trying to figure out who he's got on the floor. He doesn't really know what he's going to put together night to night because he doesn't know who's going to be available. And he's got to figure out what he's going to do in the playoffs, but he can't do that yet because Norman Powell is hurt. PG now is hurt. Reggie Jackson is hurt. And it's really tough on him to figure out what he wants to do. So a game like that against Phoenix, where it was a schedule loss anyways. I mean, I don't know what the schedulers decided to do, putting the Clippers on the second night of a back-to-back. I think three of the four times they're facing Phoenix this year. It's it's just one of those things that's a schedule loss because Kawhi's not going to play. Um, and then you have a couple of injuries, obviously, as well, that added in. And it's tough. But like you said, I mean, it's nice to kind of see certain guys and what they can bring. But who knows? But... One of the guys that didn't play in that game that has really become a fan favorite um, since becoming someone, I mean, at the start when he was on the team, it was somebody that was overpaid and that didn't really fit into this team was Luke Kennard. And he has been really good recently. I'm curious your thoughts on what you've seen with Luke's play and where he fits into this team, because there's certainly going to be a spot for him um, in the rotation come playoff time. The question is where? And what do you think, where do you think he fits in? Well, I mean, Ty Lue likes shooters. Um, I think you look back at the teams that he had in Cleveland. Um, obviously, you, you build around LeBron with a fairly specific um, roster breakdown. But I think that, you know, surround star X with shooters is um, a recipe a lot of teams are going to. Um, I, you know, I think that, yeah, because of his shooting and his consistency, and also just sort of his um, – this year I felt like he was getting into the lane early on way more often with his dribble, kind of probing around, making some something happen, making people respect him when he was dribbling off the line. If, if they ran him off the line, you know, he could still make something happen there. Uh, you know, he's really good with the short roll passing, I thought. So I think he's – I mean, this isn't to say that he didn't already have a, you know – a complete game, an all-around game. He was never just a shooter, shooter. Even Detroit, people really there thought that he was a really great playmaker, more than he was perhaps showing. Um, but I, I do think that the all-around growth of his game is going to give him a spot. Um, I, I remember what you're talking about in that second-round series, excuse me, first-round series, two years ago against Dallas, where he went from you know completely out of the rotation to all of a sudden he was getting some minutes, and I think like game six um, down the stretch. It, I mean, like, they clearly are happy with or feel trust with him in high-leverage situations. I think he's defensively. Um, he's earned some praise, too. So he's very valuable. Yeah, I mean, he's – when you're looking at those small, smaller lineups, um, he's someone who – Kailu has a knack for getting open schematically with his plays, and then he's not a zero defensively. You know, he, he, I think he's going to hold his own. So there are times when 
uh, I think he's going to be on those closing lineups for sure. And that's not something you would have said mm, even a year ago. Um, if, you know, like if PG was was healthy in the in the play-in tournament. So there's a lot there's a lot that he brings that um, will warrant him getting minutes. And like you said, that the contract early on was and just his deferring shots kind of drove <laughs> coaches crazy. Um, I think he it's taken a while, but he's definitely feeling like. He, he knows that the green light is his and, um, you know, just because Paul and Kawhi are on the floor, that he does not have to defer to them anymore. I think that he's been um, empowered by the coaches to know, understand his worth. And it's obviously these post calf strain. We're still working back from the point where he'll be playing like full minutes. But I thought it's been pretty encouraging what he's done the last couple games that he's played. There's been some talk on Clippers Twitter. I think it was Jamal Christopher and also Adam Osland um, who mentioned on the Clips and Dip podcast that perhaps you start Luke Kennard and that will jolt your offense because the offense has been struggling to start this season, which is really surprising considering who you have in that starting lineup. But of course, availability has certainly hampered that. The defense has been a top five defense, but the offense has struggled. Um, but part of me thinks that it, it doesn't really matter who starts. I think that you're making subs six minutes into the first quarter. And from there, you're just putting lineups together to see what works. So I think it makes sense to start with a floor general like a Reggie Jackson or a John Wall. Uh, but I can see where the merit is in starting Luke Kennard and giving one more shooter on the floor, considering that especially come playoff time, you're going to have the ball in PG and Kawhi's hands anyways. Um, and Luke can certainly handle the ball. So you have those three guys, and you look at who can shoot, and it's Marcus, Luke, and PG. You have three really good shooters there, along with Kawhi and Zoo. So I could see that lineup making sense. But at the same time, I think it's nice to have Luke come off the bench and provide that juice from three-point range, um, especially with Norman Powell out. I think that you are going to have a really bad second unit. If you don't have Luke in that second unit, curious your thoughts on Luke and where he could fit either on the um, coming off the bench or starting. Yeah, I think there's certainly merits to both. I, I think that I, as long as John Wall is coming off the bench, I think giving John Wall more people to feed um, for shots, I think is generally a good thing. Um, I think that, you know, because John's own shooting has been spotty, uh, because Terrence has been really good from inside the arc, I think, 60 plus percent this year, but um, you know, three point is coming along. I, I just think that you want more guys. who can space the floor out that second unit. And to your point, Norm Powell is just unavailable right now. So uh, I think that's a better fit for, for that right now um, to play primarily his minutes with those guys. But, you know, down the stretch and, you know, Ty has been shown, um, showing quite, you know, an, an attractiveness to playing um, Luke and four wings. Uh, for obvious reasons, he likes the shooting. He likes they're not really giving up too many rebounds um, versus having a traditional big on the floor. So uh, that's kind of whatever you land on how important it is, like their lineups in the second quarter or you know late first quarter. I think down the stretch, we've seen Ty more and more go toward Luke and long wings, um, complemented by those guys. And it's you know it was really important down the stretch, I believe in Washington, um, and I, I just felt like. He was asked about it when they came home to homestand too, and uh, I, I I really like the lineups, especially with Batum and Luke Kennard because you know Batum is just great at moving the ball. Um, he's really extremely unselfish, and you put him out there looking for 
um, a Luke, you know, when, when Kawhi and PG are really, you know, locked in to get into their spots, to have someone out there who's really able to whip the ball around for hockey assists and find a guy like Luke, I think is really important. I'm impressed, man. I really am impressed with what Luke has done, and he's certainly taken that next step. He's not just a shooter anymore. We saw at the start of the season that he's aggressive, getting into the painted area, and there's a lot of talk, obviously, getting to the paint and spray to the sides and get it to a guy like Batum or PG, whoever's in the corner, to shoot those threes, and Luke Kennard is a guy that's able to get into the paint, and that's what you want your point guard to do, and that's something that there's been a lot of talk about John Wall and what he needs to do and he needs to attack the paint and whether that means attacking the paint and then trying a layup and using his speed or getting into the paint and then kicking it out and igniting the offense on the perimeter. Um, I think that's something that both those guys can do. And it, it's I do wonder at some point if perhaps those two guys, I know that they're not the same. And we mentioned earlier with the burst that John Wall can do in transition and what he provides. You wonder in playoffs if perhaps – those two guys are a little repetitive when you're asking them to do um, in that Luke is just a way better shooter. And I mean, you're going to have both guys trying to get into the paint. They both have the ability to. So I'll be curious to see what happens in rotations. But I mentioned it last podcast that there's no point in even discussing rotations at this point because you don't know who's going to be healthy night tonight, night tonight. And these teams or this team rather is so injury prone that it's not even worth discussing because you could talk about, hey, John Wall probably not going to be worth getting in the rotation. Well, you don't know because Reggie Jackson's hurt now. And, I mean, who knows who's going to be hurt later on. So it's impossible to talk about rotations. But I'm glad to see Luke actually playing well because I know there was a lot of talk about his contract. And I was one of those player people that was saying, you know what, this is a player that is not worth that money. I was always confused who they were bidding against with that contract. But he's certainly playing well. So I'm glad to see it. Um, go ahead. Well, I, I think that the, you know, when that contract was signed, I, they clearly um, valued him. You know, that's why it, it wasn't just a ploy to get him signed the extension. But you know, the cynical side would would say, well, if it didn't work out, it, it's one of those contracts that's in that kind of needy middle range that you need to build trades for. I don't. That's. I think that's only if it, if it hadn't worked out. Clearly, he's come around and he's become really valuable. I mean, there was a. The rumor floated last year on NBA draft day about Clippers would be willing to part with Luke Kennard. And, and that was like so wrong. Um, the Clippers were like, you know, the, the words back was just like, absolutely not from multiple sources. Like th- this is not at all how they view Luke Kennard, how, you know, Luke Kennard is, is valued from the organization is just a trade piece. So um, they really, really like him. And look, it's one of those things too, where as you sign contracts and going forward, like, you know, you, you sort of have to build in that, the, the cap's going to be going up and up and up. And so those relatively will be becoming less and less of a smaller percentage of your cap. Um, so I think that's also part of it. Like the cost for, for shooting is, is pretty expensive in the NBA. And so uh, I know early on there was some, um, some just, I felt like it's a lot of frustration, not from within, well, from within the team in terms of just Luke fr- turning down shots and sort of not um, allowing himself to, live up to be the player that they that they wanted him to be and knew he could be um, just because he felt like, well, this is Kawhi and PG's team. If I'm on the floor, like I'm going to get them the ball. They, they've over multiple years had to make the case that no, 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 like you are that valuable to us too. Um, but I think, you know, from the fan side, there was certainly frustration on the value of the contract. But um, I, I think that when you factored in him coming off of the knee injuries, when that first year's Clipper uh, getting adjusted to everything, it was the, it was the kind of post bubble year I felt like 
I was not surprised it took him like six months to sort of get up and running that year. I just felt like with all that confluence of events that it would be, he would have a much better second season with the Clippers. And I think that's, you know, pretty much come to pass. Yeah, I think that there's certainly some lineups that look very, very tasty come playoff time with Luke in it. I mean, you look at Luke, Kawhi, PG, Batum, and then a guy like Marcus Morris. Um, I mean, you, you mentioned four wings um, plus Luke, and that, that could be a really deadly lineup come playoff time. And then, of course, you got Zoo who you can throw in there. You got Rocco who you can throw in there. Um, and then, of course, Norman Powell. So there are a lot of options, like I was saying, that Ty Lue has at his disposal. It just would be nice to get those guys healthy so you can figure out what what works the best. Um, but, of course, none of this works without Kawhi Leonard. And Kawhi looks like he's back. I mean, he has had a couple of really good games building in a row. And I said on this podcast that we'll truly know when he's back when those defensive statistics start coming in because he went through a long stretch, Andrew, to start where I think he had like two or three total steals and blocks in his first four or five games. And I mentioned that, you know what, this is very much like his preseason because he hasn't gotten a chance to ramp up and he got hurt, obviously, early on. He come he came back. It's another preseason. Now it kind of seems like, okay, this is the regular season for Kawhi Leonard. He's starting to do what we would expect. And we looked at yesterday's game, and he was so important to closing out the ball game. 31 points on 12 of 26 shooting. I mean, that is what we're used to seeing is a very good field goal percentage from Kawhi on a high amount of shots. Um, his free throw shooting has been very bad for some reason to start but three steals in a block yesterday. So we were starting to see how aggressive he is in the defensive end, and he was able to play 31 minutes. Man, this team obviously is going nowhere without Kawhi and PG, Andrew. Like, that is a certainty that you can't win a title without those two guys. And we've seen PG come back from injury and play exactly like the guy he was before, but he wasn't sitting out for as long as Kawhi has. What are your thoughts on Kawhi and what you've seen from him? Because it really does start to seem like he's looking like the guy that the Clippers expected him to be. Still not quite there yet, but there's got to be a lot of optimism right now that, okay, just stay healthy because you're a damn good player and you're getting to where we want you to be. Yeah, I mean, Kawhi had said um, after, I think it was his second sort of return, his second brief stint um, back playing um, this year that, this, he views his ACL recovery as a two-year process. He said, everyone thinks it's a one-year thing. It's a two-year thing. Um, so I think that his, it kind of sort of offered some insight into where his head was at in terms of, you know, don't expect miracles in December of 2022 um, when I've been off for as long as I've been off. Then you add in the tightness in the knee and the ankle injury. So I, I do think that this is something where it's been, it's not about sort of, um, I, I guess my sense of like a progress report on Kawhi Leonard wasn't really all that, um, I wasn't all that worried about sort of what he looked like through really through December. I think that obviously as you hit the midway point in the, in the year, which is in early January that, okay, if it, if it really hasn't happened by then, a lot of teams don't become wholly different rosters. Um, after the halfway point, you know, there's only so many teams that are like just really are hard chargers the second half of the year so you kind of you kind of are what you are and i think as long as he was showing that kind of progress toward being you know the kind of player who had those elite elite skills in several areas then i think that was going to be a good sign for the clippers he's shown that um to your point boston 10 of 12 shooting um i think that there was 
still some an element of explosiveness that is yet to come back. You know, he went up for a dunk in the Boston game and, and didn't get it. Um, kind of in a mid-transition, um, going up for it, um, bonked it off the back of the, of the rim. Obviously, that was not something we were used to seeing pre-injury. But I think that in terms of like the smoothness of his game, you're starting to see that happen again more and more. So I, I think things would be trending in the right direction. I, I am curious if there is ever a point when they decide to play him in back-to-backs. And, and why I'm interested in that is because, you know, they really don't have to. Um, this is a team that is going to be playing on every other day or so, or maybe two days in between during the postseason. So it's not like the schedule requires a team of, of having a guy. If you're, if you're careful, if you're being really cautious with him, he doesn't have to go out there and play back-to-back, you know, technically to kind of get that rhythm back. Um, but I guess one thing I'm very curious about is, as long as we're talking about workload and rhythm, is how he looks the second half, really after the All-Star break. Mm-hmm. Because remember, there's 61 games for the All-Star break. Um, there are only 21 after that. Over the course of about seven weeks of the year, there are a few back-to-backs in there uh, in that 21-game stretch. So if you're already looking at maybe him only playing 18 or, or 17 of those games, and then maybe there's a couple where they rest him or he's just maybe he's just out that they want to be the precautious. He can only play like we are talking about this. Oh, young Masuk from ESPN the other day. We, we were talking about this. Um, he might only play like 15 games um, in that neighborhood over the course of like the last seven weeks of the year. So does that afford you the rhythm um, you want after you've sort of gotten to this point through the trade deadline and the all-star break? I think that's going to be fascinating to watch also. I'm glad you brought up that point, and that's interesting because now I'm looking that up to kind of see what we're looking at. And after the All-Star break, which uh, will end on February 24th against Sacramento, there's like three games, and then you have a back-to-back with Golden State and Sacramento on March 2nd, March 3rd. So that's one back-to-back. And then you look, and there's one on the 18th and 19th with, with Orlando and then at Portland, which most likely you're not going to take Kawhi to Portland. Um, and then you have another one um, in April that is going to end the season with Portland and then at Phoenix. And, I mean, I would assume that if you need that game, then Kawhi will play that game against Phoenix. Um, so there's a couple of back-to-backs, certainly, that he may not play in. So, like you said, and then, of course, if you have a random game where you want to sit him, he could only play, like you said, about 15 games in the second half. And we need to see this team healthy, and you need to give uh, Ty Lue a chance to evaluate this team. And you can't evaluate this team with Kawhi sitting out, you just cannot do it because you need to see how this team looks. And so I, I'm glad that you brought that up and because I was going to ask you that same exact question. When do you think that the back-to-back restrictions will be lifted? And I think that kind of goes hand-in-hand. Hand. And when will the minute restriction be extended? Because is he going to go more than 31 minutes in any game this season? Are they going to allow him to go to 35-36? Because there's going to be a point in the postseason, Andrew, where you're going to need Kawhi and PG to play 40-plus minutes. It's just the way it goes in the postseason. And you mentioned it. You're playing every other day, so you're not playing back-to-backs. But that is certainly going to be a congested schedule when you play every other day. I feel like you've got to get the body used to it at some point instead of playing, all right, hey, we're playing on a Sunday, then we're playing on a Monday. Or we're playing on a Sunday, then we're playing on a Wednesday, then we're playing on a Saturday. And so you've got three games this week. But it, it feels like you need to have Kawhi accustomed to the workload before you just throw him in there in the postseason because that, I feel like, risks more injury not 
doing it beforehand than if you were to just let them rest and then just throw them into it. Doesn't that make sense? Does that make sense? That makes sense. Um, yeah, I, I wish I'd love to be able to go in, you know, six months in the future and just sort yeah. of see what is ahead for them. You know, what, what will be available for Tai Lu in terms of playing his guys and understanding his team a little bit better. Um, when they came back, he and uh, Paul George returned after their about two week absence when they played Charlotte and of course, Kawhi Leonard hit the game winner. Ty Lue had heralded that game as sort of, okay, like, this is the start of the new thing, like the new part of the season, really, where we can really start to see things um, about who we're going to be. And he had sort of joked the other night to a question about like, how many games do you need to see from this group altogether before you can really have a confidence about him? And, and he sort of tongue in cheek, sort of frustrated was like, uh, let's go with 15 games consecutively. Hmm. Um, so, you know, is that a real number? I don't know, but there's, there's a truth to it that he needs to see them for at least some sort of time, um, for an extended period of time. And we're just not going to get there, um, anytime soon anyway. So it, this next, uh, really, I would say five weeks of the season will be fascinating because they have a long road trip on the East coast. Then they go back, um, in late January, early February on a road trip that kind of precedes the trade deadline and what do they look like then? Who is available then? Will that inform what they do with the deadline? Certainly. Uh, if they feel like they are X piece away, certainly. Um, so it's, it's just a really, this, I, I really do feel like these next five to six weeks as we get um, right up to the trade deadline, as we leave the, the East Coast road trip that ends in New York City, um, wh- where do they stand? And, and, who, <laughs> and who is standing, literally, on the court? Um, and how often are they standing there? Yeah, it's funny you mention that because it makes me think when you say who's standing, you look at the Western Conference, and I think you can now basically eliminate four teams in Houston, San Antonio, Oklahoma City, and the Lakers, especially with AD being out now, that don't have a chance probably to make the playoffs. And so it's really between the rest of the teams. Right now, Golden State's on the outside looking in because of their 2-14 and 14 road record. But it seems like the Clippers are going to be in the playoffs. It's just a matter of where are they going to be. And I think for the sake of Kawhi Leonard and PG and what the, the amount of minutes that you want to put on their legs, you want to get into that top six spot. And it's crazy to say, but the Clippers are only two and a half games back of the one seed right now. And it's weird because they are actually three games ahead of Golden State. So the West is kind of a cluster right now. And the more games you have Kawhi and PG healthy, the more wins you can rack up. And I understand this whole, hey, let's rest them because we want to look to the postseason. But you play these guys more now, get those wins, you can rest them later on because the games won't be as important later on, and you can get ready for the postseason as opposed to, hey, we're going to need to win these next five of six games to get into a top six spot, and then you put the wear and tear on those guys' legs earlier on. It just doesn't make sense to me. I think you're better off. I understand trying to play the long game, but at the same time, there is something to say about winning some of these games that you should win now so that you can rest these guys closer to the postseason. Yeah, I mean, that's... It's all part of the internal calculus of, yeah. um, you know, w- w- what is it better to have guys, you know, more in rhythm late in the season? Do you build up to that point? Do you start that process earlier to make up ground? I think the West, because it is a very um, clustered together and they're really outside of, I think, Memphis, New Orleans, and certainly Phoenix, which just got off a losing streak, um, has looked you know better than I think I expected coming into the year, but also uneven. There's not that many teams that have really truly separated themselves, and I think strike 
ton of fear um, that, you know, New Orleans and Memphis obviously are, I, I think what those two teams are so, um, are so fun to watch is because they just have like a lack of a fear factor. And they also just, <laughs> they kind of just hit you right in the, right in the face, start a game and sort of like, okay, like, are you going to answer? Um, so I don't think that, although there is sort of this idea to let's just get the playoffs if it continues this way and there's a bunch of teams who are sort of all packed together what the seating you know how much does seating matter um even if you got in as the seven seed or the six seed um i think that the clippers or a team like the warriors because of their you know the pedigree of their top stars and certainly in the warriors case their history you'd have to take them more seriously than you would any other six seed let's say um but I think you're going to run it at some point. You're going to run to a team that, um, that very likely could be one of those young guys, and they're just they're just going to have young legs and really have no fear and no awe um, about them in terms of you know respecting their elders, and they're going to come at come at you and bring it with a lot of talent behind it. So um, I'm, there's just getting out of the West, even though it seems like it's kind of a down conference this year. Um, I'm really fascinated to see what that shakes out to look like because it could be really hard to get out of it, even though. You know, you, you sort of look and go, well, who are the good teams? Well, there's a lot of like teams right now, and, and how that would sort itself out in a playoff format, I have no idea. Yeah, I don't think the Clippers have a chance if they are not a top six team because I just think those couple extra games beforehand, it, it just puts way too much wear and tear on you, and you're going to be playing 40 minutes because they're must-win games. So it's not like, hey, this is game one of a series. If we lose this game, oh, well, like it, it happens. Like, well, let's rest these guys and let's fight back tomorrow. There is no tomorrow in that play-in tournament, you know? So it's one of those things where it feels like they got to win. And it, uh, I think they need to get one of those top six spots. But we'll see. I mean, obviously, a very important trip coming up. I think you need to get a win on Wednesday against Charlotte. It's another one of those games against at home against a team that's not very good. And you barely beat Charlotte at Charlotte um, to start the month. And then you go at Philly, at Detroit, at tr- to Toronto, Boston, Indiana. And so I think you probably need to go at least three and two on that road trip. And there's going to be three really tough games at Philly, Toronto, and Boston. And then Indiana's not... I mean, Indiana's pretty tough, too. Uh, but we'll be covering you. We'll be following you there. Um, Andrew Greif, at Andrew Greif on Twitter. Anything else you want to uh, promote, Andrew? Um, yeah, just, I mean, obviously, at times.com. Uh, you go to the yeah. sports page. We have our own Clippers tab. Everything I write ends up there. I use the link to everything I write online also on Twitter. But um, please, support. I mean, we've been luckily um, able to go on pretty much every road trip this year and in large in most cases we're the only outlet that is there covering the clippers full-time so uh, we can only do that because of this you know support from readers so i appreciate people who sub- subsidize my job so <laughs> please support uh please please subscribe and uh i'm just yeah grateful to be around this team because it is fascinating they're they're interesting group to be around a lot of guys who are you know been at this for a long time they know that windows like this don't open very long uh, they can close quickly, and so there is there is definitely like you know an urgency to it. But there's also the the veteran kind of long game vision to it. So it's just it's just really interesting mix of team, and so that's why I enjoy sort of being around them and talking to guys a lot, and um, very thoughtful in a lot of cases. Like you know Nicholas Batum and Reggie Jackson should team up to write a book together. I feel like on just like making it in the NBA, they have a lot of lessons. So. There's there's a lot going on with the team that um, that tells me that there's like no panic, but at a certain point, like you said, 
you have to start winning consistently. And when that point comes, um, I guess we'll find out. Yeah, I feel like the stories will start to write themselves uh, once guys get healthy. So, Andrew, big thanks to you hopping on. I promise we won't wait eight months until we uh, chat again, all right? All right, sounds good. I'll hold you to that. He's Andrew at Andrew Greif on Twitter. I'm Brandon at BD Marcus, of course, at Ethos Clippers Twitter handle as well. Rate and review the podcast. It helps us. And until next time, we'll talk to you after this homestand wraps up against Charlotte on Wednesday. He's Andrew. I'm Brandon. Have a good one. And go Clips. Go Clips.